the AIM podcast. Today we sit down with special guest, founder of Solid Core, Back on Your Feet, and Ambition, Ann Malam. Ann is an incredible entrepreneur and servant to helping so many people around her just become the best versions of themselves as they can be. You guys are going to love this episode, hearing her ambitious story of how she got into entrepreneurship and built very, very successful businesses that help individuals have a better life. This is a very special episode. This is episode number 100 of the Ambition in Mind podcast, and I'm just so grateful that you guys have stuck around and been a part of this amazing community. It means the world to me, and I know that we are just getting started, but let's dive right into this incredible episode with Ann Mahler. And thank you so much for coming on the AIM podcast. My pleasure, Doug. Nice to see you. So good to see you. I'm I'm really excited about this episode. This is a very special episode. This is number 100 for the Ambition of Mind podcast. And like I told you before we started recording, you are by far the most equipped person in the world that I've met so far that has so much ambition that, you know, this is just going to be a really fun one. I'm very honored and thankful that you'd come on this. Yeah, well, it sounds like you need to get out a little bit more, but thanks <laughs> for the compliment. <laughs> no doubt. Well, I want to I want to dive in. You know, one of the cool things for the audience is to understand the context here. I was able to meet you at an event earlier last year, and you have such an incredible story. You've been through things that I think make you, again, equipped to, to do some incredible things to impact people, but also just the success you've had from the hard work and the drive that you've that you obviously have. I want to kind of just set the stage by understanding like what does ambition truly mean to you and and how have you, you know, you can take this however you want, but how have you started to apply this to your life? Yeah, I think, listen, amb- ambition is, do- is, is doing. And a lot of people get stuck in ideating and they have, you know, they talk a lot about what they want their life to look like. And we talk and we dream about this future self. And it's really, it's, it's, it's action, right? It's following through um, with your dreams, with your goals, with your desires, with your interests and making real movement on those things. And I just know I have the evidence of continuing to try and put myself out there uh, is the greatest source of fulfillment and happiness that that there is. And I think, Doug, too, remembering that we live in this world that is filled with immediate gratification. It's it's all there from you order something on Amazon, it's there tomorrow. You get clicks through social media, you know, frankly, porn. Like there's 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 constantly like have it now, have it now, have it now. And success is the exact opposite, you know, of that. And when you're stepping into your ambition and having day one, as you know, I'm starting this new company, ironically called Ambition. But like, I think about SolidCore over the last nine years and why we're in the position we're in. And it's showing up every single day. There was no shortcut to that. Like it's been years, you know, that tens of thousands of hours of put into something to 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 build it and stay committed to what your goal is. And there's no there's no shortcut to it. I, I couldn't agree more. And it's, I think it's tough, like you said, just with social media and the different things that we have access to, people see the incredible work that you've done and the success you've had. And it's easy to see that on the surface level and be like, wow, that's amazing. But they don't see every single day, 
that you've put into building those things and all the sacrifices you've made and all the hard work, like that's the stuff that's unseen. And I think it's good just to have these conversations just to bring people back into this reality of like, if you truly love something and you want to do it at a, at a higher scale or just build on it, it's going to take time. There's going to be different things and challenges that I'm sure you've even had to experience during your process. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of that, this is why I love Mark Manson and his writing, but a lot of people love the idea of the outcome of the ambition, right? Like I can say I'm a marathoner, but you, the, the, the work is the, the training, the long runs, the going to bed early, the sore legs. Like you have to, I tell people when they tell me that they want to do X, I'm like, think about the process that is required to get to that outcome. Cause that's where you have to fall in love. And so if I've given this example on my own Instagram, but like, if you want to open a coffee shop and you're envisioning this dreamy place where people are laughing and having a great time, you know, that's the outcome. The work to get there is like, do you like early mornings? Do you know what time coffee shops open? Managing hourly employees. What if they don't show up? Inventory, um, you know, pricing, customer service, payroll, like all of these things are actually what make the coffee shop successful. So I don't think off, I don't think people ask themselves often enough of think about the day-to-day life of your, amb- of your ambitious goals. And what does that look like? And does that excite you? Cause if the answer is no, you're going to be in trouble and you're going to quit. That is true. And I think that's the reality. I think it's important to explain and, and just kind of bring that to light. Where did your ambition come from? Is this something you think you were born with? Or is this something that you've kind of developed through experiences and different things that you've gone through? I think it's probably a little bit of both, right? The nature versus nurture. I, I'm i definitely more ambitious than anybody else in, in my family. And I think that they would agree with that. I've just had this ridiculous drive. You know, I remember a story my mom told me when I was little and like I couldn't reach the cabinet to get a glass of water you know, so instead of asking anybody for help, I went and stacked stacked towels so I could climb up on the towels to climb up on the counter and get the get the glass of water. So I think it's like there's been something that's just I like to compete. I like to challenge myself. And that's a little bit innate. But additionally, Doug, there's a positive feedback loop that I've gotten by by doing that. The more you do that, the more you test yourself, challenge yourself, the reward you get by figuring things out. I think is just something that like, again, that positive feedback, the the dopamine, the the serotonin I feel from making progress, from being resourceful. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it's probably a little bit of both. No, I I agree. And I think that's true. You know, certainly for me, I know we've, we've spoke about this and I think that was one of the coolest ways that we were able to connect is just kind of sharing our stories and, you know, hearing yours and then explaining a little bit of the things that I went through. And there was a lot of similarity with our family. Yeah. growing up. And I think that to me, that was really powerful. Um, understanding that, you know, seeing what two lives look like one with someone made that have a lot of ambition and drive and someone that doesn't, and just kind of being able to evaluate, like, what do you want your life to be? Like, how do you want to live? And, and how do you want to make an impact? And I think once you determine those things and like what truly fulfills you, like, I think it will help you get in the right direction. Yeah, totally. And, and what, what all of us are really chasing, and this is why I think therapy is so important and really understanding our family upbringings and our relationship with our parents. You know, I've associated achievement with love for a long time. I haven't mastered that. I'm still, I'm still working on that, but you know, as we, as you brought up our family life, like my parents, you know, separated when I was in high school because of my dad's gambling addiction and my dad struggled with alcohol and drugs when, when he was younger. And when I was younger, so I don't remember that, but it it tore apart 
you know, my family. And I remember thinking back then, gosh, like I never want to experience this hurt when I grew up as an adult. So I'm just going to make sure that like, I, I am so perfect that no one will ever leave me. That's people will always love me. And like, I'm constantly achieving and producing like almost that I have to earn, you know, love. Um, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about that because, you know, drive doesn't always have drive and ambition doesn't always have to be so pure. Like those are real emotions for me. And as human beings right above food and shelter is this need to be loved and appreciated. So it's, it's really wired within us to, to want that. And if, if you convince yourself that that's how I'm going to get that, man, there's a, there's a lot of work that you will put into accomplishing and, and achieving to, to try to, to try to feel loved by yourself and by other people. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, what I've seen is like, obviously I have this drive and ambition to, to do these things like this podcast and whatnot. And I think to your point, I, you know, for me, it was never really about money. Obviously, mm -hmm. you know, you're someone who can probably speak on this, you know, very well, but you, you've created a lot of financial success and, and different things with the assets and the businesses you've built. But in terms of just the feedback from being ambitious and doing things and hearing, you know, the way it's affecting people or the way people are appreciating that, that's what fires me up more than anything mm -hmm. else. Um, and it sounds like obviously there's got to be somewhat of a balance there where you can't necessarily be consumed in it, but it surely can, I think, fuel that fire to continue on to, to push you and drive you to help those people. Yeah. And I think you, you have to figure out where to channel your ambition. I used to tell this to the back of my feet guys, which is a nonprofit that I'd started, you know, in 2007, who majority of those guys in that program were addicts. And I'm like, your addiction tendencies can be a massive superpower. You just have to figure out where to put them instead of the drugs, alcohol, and the activities that are diminishing your life. You know, if you can put that into, in our program, it was running and bettering yourself. Like you have such a leg up because, and I have a little bit of addictive tendencies, but when you're in, you're like a hundred percent in, um, and it can really be amazing. And I always say, Doug, that like ambition leads money follows. And what I mean by that is if you're, if you're doing things to make money, that's just, that's not an emotion. There's not enough there in my mind. Like that's the stuff. Those are the companies that fail, the businesses that fall apart, the communities that don't thrive because they're not authentic. If you're doing the right things. And that's what I decided to do with, with my ambition of like, I like, I like creating experiential brands in the fitness and wellness space that make people's lives better, happier, and more fulfilled. And so I feel really good about how I've built my wealth for myself and what my success is built off of. It still gives me a ton of joy of when I'm in a solid core studio or, you know, someone texts me or emails me and how, how much better their life is or how something I've created has impacted their life. Like I still get goosebumps and I just, I feel really good about how I've spent my time. And so I think that's the trick of you can be ambitious, but where you put that can either be destructive or not honorable, or it can help a lot of people and everybody's got to make that decision for themselves. No, I agree. I think that makes a ton of sense. And everyone's obviously story is different. Their interests and passions are different. How did you kind of get into this space of, of doing these things that are, you know, you felt called and interested in with the health and fitness and just making these experiences for these people? 
Yeah. So let's, I guess let's start it back on my feet. So um, for those not familiar, it's, it's a nonprofit that we, we use running, right. As a vehicle to help people who are experiencing homelessness in living in homeless shelters, change their identities so that we can change the direction of their life. So literally in 15 different cities around the country, different homeless shelters within those cities, 530 in the morning, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, a group of people coming out of the shelter and volunteers circle up to, to run together. And we really feel that that's the starting point that if we can get people feeling good by moving their body, I'm a big believer in movement as I know you are too, Doug. It's just like, that is that will get all of the blood flowing. Again, the serotonin, you start your morning off in that way, you feel good, one good decision leads to another. And so I started that organization when I was completely lost in my life, looking for like what my purpose is, you know, like what does my life mean? What am I here for? And I think everybody at some point asks themselves those big questions. And I had been a runner at this point for for 10 years living in Philly, and I became a runner to deal with my dad's addiction issues and the demise of my family, you know. Uh, unit falling apart. It was an outlet for me. And so 10 years later, when I see these group of guys outside this homeless shelter, knowing how powerful running had been to me, I mean, I felt invincible when I was running. I felt strong. I felt certain. And it just, it, it, it had so many benefits, even as a 16 year old kid who was struggling. And I'm like, huh, running doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter if you're white, black, rich, poor, homeless or not. Like it can make you feel like you can fly. And so this idea hit me when I was running by the homeless shelter by my house. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to start a running program for these guys. And in some weird way, you know, Doug, I know, I know you're, you know, you've got some roots in religion and I'm, I'm more spiritual, but when you, when your life makes sense in a way that I'm like running, running. I feel like really saved me as a kid and I couldn't figure out a way to help my dad through his addictions. Mm -hmm. And now I can apply this sport that saved me to help these guys change their life. Like things just made sense in my life. I'm like, Oh my God, I get it. I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to help these guys through this sport and then I can help get them jobs and homes. And it can really be the impetus for a self-sufficient lifestyle. And no one else understood it. It was like, wait, what? Like you're talking about a bunch of people who are living in homeless shelters are going to start running one. That's ridiculous Two, How is that going to help them? And you and I know, and a lot of your listeners probably know that again, fitness, identity, sport movement, like it's really the first step. And I thought that it could, in my mind, I'm like, there's no other first step. If we can't get these guys to look at themselves differently as a runner, as a teammate, as reliable, as ambitious, a goal setter, someone who, you know, runs 10 miles a day from a place where they're looking at themselves as I'm a 44 year old man living in a homeless shelter. That's not a good story or narrative for, for motivation and for change. So we had to change identity first. And yeah, I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And so I went all in against everybody's advice, against everybody's doubts, um, and surrounded myself with people who were super smart. And we started building and creating and built a fully fledged, you know, fully pro programmatic nonprofit that, you know, has about an eight, eight to $9 million budget this, this year, I believe. I don't run it anymore. There's a new CEO who's been running it the last nine years. Um, but, and we've helped literally thousands of people move out of homeless shelters, get jobs and find more self-sufficient lifestyle by starting with running. 
That is truly incredible. It is unreal what you've you know done with that particular program. And you know, one of the big things that I take away from that, obviously, you're you're definitely making an impact on these individual lives. But there's this element of just like empowering and instilling confidence in people. And I think you were able to do that with this nonprofit, and I'm sure you've done it with all the businesses you've been involved in. But what is your, you know, advice for someone that's looking to become a better leader in that sense and try to, you know, instill these values of, you know, empowering people and and bringing people confidence? Because that's one thing, you know, and I've had conversations with you and just the way you communicate, like you bring, you give people confidence. Um, So how how have you been able to do that? And, you know, what are some tips or advice you give on, on doing that with others? Yeah, listen, I think that takes a little bit of years of practice. I remember starting with back on my feet and being a young CEO that I had never been before and I'd never managed people before. And you kind of look around and you we all have this idea of what it means to be the boss. And you kind of see the boss as like mean, telling people what to do, hard on people. You're like, okay, like that's, is that what I'm supposed to do? So I, I, I had to learn by going through it that that's, that's not leadership, right? Like that's me exerting my authority um, isn't doing anything. All people are doing then is following what, my direction and following what I'm saying and telling them what to do and how to do it. And people get tired of that, right? That's not an empowering way to lead. I, I you know, again, took years, but now I really lead from a place of, I work backwards from our goals. So again, ambition is opening, which is a new fitness wellness concept that I'm opening in New York you know, early March and my team, it's like, guys, here's the opening date. Here are the goals. And like, I leave it up to them to be like, I don't care how you do it, but this is, this is what needs to get done by then. I am here if you need assistance and help, you know, and we're going to have weekly meetings and whatever, but I'm not going to get granular and tell you how to do what you want to do. You know, you know, the goals and everything that needs to get done by then. And I think I see a lot of leaders, you know, step into their unfortunate authority um, and they are get a, get a thrill off of telling people what they're doing wrong and 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 saying no and telling people they need to ask for permission. So a really good test, and I tell this to you know Salakor, we have over a thousand employees. I tell the leaders at the beginning of the year, all the things that you are responsible for that you feel like you need to approve and come your way at the end of that year, that list should be a lot shorter because you have taught you have empowered and you have delegated. If if that list is the same, that tells me that you're really not a leader. You don't trust the people beneath you. You're not taking the time to empower them. You're not doing the company any favors because you're not growing and elevating yourself. You're just protecting these responsibilities and making it that like you're so invaluable that like you're needed for this these approvals or for this thing. When again, that's like, that doesn't impress me much, right? Like I want to see how you're able to step up and say, all my team knows how to do the P&Ls. All my team understands sales now. Like I've put these processes in place and empowered my team. And that as I can, as, as I hire people now with my next ventures, that's what I look for the capabilities of people to do. That's, that's so good. And I think, you know, from a moral standpoint, like a leader, a good leader should empower and bring confidence to make that person better, to, to raise their level, to make them a better human, a better person. But in the end, it's cool to see how I'm sure that's been a catalyst and and an element to help you scale faster, grow bigger, because at the end of the day, you're now creating, you know, people that can do it themselves, which I think that's like you're saying, a lot of leaders maybe want to hold on to more things just because they don't want to give up that 
that free or that power. But at the end of the day, that power is what can ultimately just continue to grow the engine. Yeah, Doug, think about that, right? So this is SolidCore. I'm no longer the CEO of that, right? So if you, if anybody listening is an entrepreneur and a founder, or you're building something, if you're building something that is wrapped around your identity, your brand, you, you're then become an employee of what you're of what you're building. The best thing a founder can do is ensure they're putting the people, the processes in place that it works without you. So we're having this conversation. There are 91 solid core studios and they're all having classes right now. I'm not coaching any one of them. I don't manage any one of them. I don't, I'm not necessary for the business to be running. And so it is irresponsible for a founder. And this is where the ego steps in, right? If you're like, oh my God, this thing won't work without me. I'm like, that's not something I would ever invest in. If this thing is so tied up in the founder and you, if you get hit by a bus, right? The, all that, if you get hit by a bus or you go away or something else, it's just not, it's just, it's not a great place for the company to be in. And I'm, I'm interested in building and scaling and you can't scale if you are so imperative to the business. That, to- that totally makes sense. I want to talk about solid core. It's an incredible company. It's incredible thing that you've built with this. <laughs> How did I, I want to really? I really am interested in the early days. Like, I want to know how. Obviously, I know a little bit about your story. I'm you can share, you know, kind of the quick overview for someone that maybe not doesn't know. But I want to talk about the early days, the grit, the things that maybe were unseen that people don't see now. Because obviously, you touch on the numbers and it's incredible what you built. But like, really, I would love to dive into the early days of how you got off the ground and what that looked like to really build this thing. Yeah, sure. And I think that's a really valuable question for people listening who are like, it's different talking when everything is done and built, but like, how do I do number one? So when I, when I was, I had been running back on my feet for six and a half years. And I was like, I, I kept hearing this voice of like, it's time to do something else. And I was like, what? Like, are you serious? Like, like very few people even get one thing off the ground. And like, now I can feel this energy of like, it's time to move on. You've done your job. And I fought that for like a good six months because I was scared, right? Like, what if the next thing I did didn't work? How do I top back on my feet? Like I felt a lot of fulfillment. Am I going to feel more fulfillment? So I had to work through a lot of those emotions. And and I realized I'm not making a move because I'm scared. And that's not a good enough reason. Like I, 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 my gift to the world is creating and building, and I need to put myself in those positions to challenge myself. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to open up myself and, and be a, be aware of what that next thing could be. Cause I didn't know what it was. I just knew I had the feeling. And so I was in LA for back on my feet and I like walked by this Pilates studio and I was like, oh, this is cute. Like, this is so LA, right? Like I'm an athlete. I've done 11 marathons. Like I was like, this is this will be a fun little like LA workout to do. And it was so hard. It was so hard. And I'm like, I didn't know you could work out like that. I thought you had to be pounding on your body, jumping up and down. Like I thought you being injured every few months was a rite of passage to being fit. So it just like blew my mind that there was this different format. And I started taking back in New York where I was at the time and my body started to change completely my confidence and I started to do the math on like the, the machines that were in there, the reformers. And I was just like, this is an amazing business model, but I felt the community and the brand, like no one was really doing that well in this space. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is my next thing. Like I'm going to open um, a, a, a high-end fitness boutique studio with this format. And it made so much sense to me again. And everybody was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> you're going to go from 
you know, helping the homeless through sport, this social issue to opening a gym. And I'm like, it's not a gym, it's a studio. But, um, <laughs> it, you know, it was, it was, it was still like, this doesn't add up and make sense, but I was so certain, like, I was so certain of what I could do in that space. And frankly, Doug, I wanted to try my hand at the for-profit space now that I had been in the nonprofit space. So I had saved $175,000 at this point. <clears throat> and I was like, okay, how much do I need to rent a space? How much do I need to, you know, buy the machines? And, and I like barely had enough money and I'm like, I'm doing this. Uh, I felt again, so, so emboldened by the certainty of what I felt because I had worked out for so long. And I'm like, if I feel this way from this workout and I don't know about this, that means so many other people don't. Um, so yeah, I, I hired a broker. I moved back to DC, which is where I thought the first studio made sense. I had, I had good roots there and I, I, yeah, I didn't know anything. I asked a lot of questions about leases and I had to have a lot of trust in people because I didn't know, like, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what is tenant improvement dollars? How long does it take to build out a space? Like, you know, I had to build a website, decide what pricing would be. So there was just a lot to, to a lot to figure out. And one of the stories I tell too is we have pallet wood on all of the studios at solid core and the first studio <clears throat> when I was like, cool, like I want to do pallet wood on one of the walls. And the construction company was like, okay, here's the quote for it. And it was like $10,300. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I, I like Googled free pallet wood and got dozens of pallet pallets delivered to the studio in the rain. And I talked 10 of my friends into helping me like dry them, sand them, like nail them to the wall because I couldn't afford, I couldn't afford it. And I really wanted to do it. So yeah, it was very, it was very grind mode. It was very hustle mode, but the reason it worked, Doug is, goes back to the podcast. Like it was the ambition. It was just such a deep desire to bring this thing to life. Like I enjoyed the work, like the palette wood stuff didn't bother me. Um, because I was so convinced of what this could do for people, um, that I never, I never lost like sight of the vision. Dang, that's amazing. That's so cool. <laughs> one, uh, one question I have with you, and I think this is interesting as well. So that was a really cool story of just explaining like how you came up with the idea and how you kind of implemented and got it off the ground, but where was the shift? And maybe you had this mindset all along, but where was the shift where you said, okay, now I now I want to grow this thing. Now I want to scale. What do I need to do to to get to where I want to be in terms of growing this, you know, nationwide? How, whatever your goal was, because I'm sure there was there was had to be like some sort of shift there in your mindset. Yeah, you know, sometimes reporters ask me of like, oh my goodness, Anne, did you ever think this would be 91 studios? And I'm like, yes. Like it's <laughs> not it's not like it's not like I'm like, oh my gosh, I have no idea how this you know how this happened. We just kind of kept growing. Um, and I think as women, sometimes we're taught to just be, you know, just, to, just happy to be here, grateful for like any success that we have. And Doug, from the very first studio, I'm like, I, like I, I chose to open Solid Core because I wanted to build an empire. I wanted to, I, I know how to scale. Um, and I was like, I want to pick something that I can open several of these things. So I had my second studio open within four months of the first studio. Um, I am a big believer in momentum. And so I was like, great, like I got to get the second studio open immediately. The first studio was totally packed. And a lot of people have the mindset of like, let's just open one and wait and see for a year. Mm -hmm. You lose so much traction 
You lose so much energy that is in the air of the attention you get from being a new studio. And if you don't capitalize that, in my opinion, regardless if it's a studio or something else, massive opportunity missed. So we opened five, opened five studios in my first year. I just kept reinvesting the profits. I made real estate deals that made sense financially so that I could do that. I, you know, worked with construction companies that would delay payments so that I could get the studio open, generate revenue and have the cash to pay these guys. So it took, it took a lot of negotiation and getting people on board with, with the vision. Um, but that, like, that was always the plan from the beginning. And I, I think the success of solid core is what I said earlier in plenty of reasons, right? The product's good. The culture is good, whatever, but we just weren't scared. So when everybody else opens one and waits and see, you're opening up the gateway for me to just come over and like completely dominate in the industry with the brand. So Ambition is opening three studios between March 6th and April 30th. Like there's no waiting and seeing how it'll do. Like I know how it's going to do. I'm confident in the product. I'm confident in the brand. And I want to get the market share as soon as I possibly can to build the brand equity in New York City. I love it. It's exciting. I'm really excited to see what you do with that particular project. As you were scaling and building out this company, what were you doing from a like culture standpoint to, to bring the right people in and kind of just get them to buy into this vision? Obviously, you had this incredible vision, all this ambition. How are you getting other people to buy into that similar vision to execute and scale this plan? Yeah, that's a little tricky. And there's different people required in the beginning than there is. And, and we've had to reorg, you know, five times um, with the company, because as you think of a company that has five studios in one city that now has 91 locations across the country, it's a different level of skill set. It's a different level of talent. And in the beginning stages, and a, a little bit of like, this is ambition right now, I tell people that you need couple of people on board that are jack of all trades that are unbelievable critical thinking uh that have unbelievable critical thinking skills problem solving skills don't freak out when things have to pivot can don't bring problems to you um are great at project management and organization and because you're like hey I need you to run over the studio and like fix the plumbing or like figure call a plumber figure it out and it's not like I don't know how to do that uh, like, what do you mean? I don't know how to do that. Like it's the resourcefulness is so important because there's so many tasks. And frankly, in the beginning stage of a company, you can't afford to just hire one person to do like social media. You don't have the, the, the revenue for that. If you're just starting out and I'm not talking about someone who's starting a company like ambition, where I raise money beforehand, I'm talking about the folks who are like, I'm thinking of opening this one thing and starting a small business and starting small you need those people who can handle a few different tasks. They might not be the best at that particular thing, but they can at least do it at like a six or a seven. Um, and they can do multiple different aspects of it. And then at some point, Doug, like we started to get more specific. We're like, we need, we have a full-time person that just does our social media. We have a full-time person that just does our billing, that just does you know, those kinds of things because the company is big enough and requires that specificity in those skill sets in order to operate well. So just knowing the people that you hire in the beginning, more than likely, depending on how you're growing it, probably won't be the right people a few years in, depending on the growth 
the, the, the growth speed that, that you have. No, that makes a ton of sense. I do want to talk about ambition, your, your company ambition and kind of the idea behind it, obviously what it is, but I think it's a really unique um, idea and I think it's going to be really successful, but I'd love for you to share kind of why you started and what it actually is. Yeah. So when I came back to New York in February, I was running around the city like everybody else and like going to all these different fitness classes. I love group fitness. Like I just, I love the vibe. I love working out with people. Um, and, and I was like, gosh, like every place offers one workout. Like that's what boutique fitness is, right? Soul cycle, like come here, spin, you know, go to rumble and it's boxing, go to solid core and it's athletic Pilates. Like we're all sort of doing this, this one off modality and I'm like, there is a real need just like bundling, right? And and whether it's net, Netflix or uh, Disney or all these different, you know, things like, oh my God, just give me one thing where I can get the stuff that I want. So that's where like the original problem solved for me with ambition came of, I want to create a space that offers four modalities, kind of the four like most popular modalities that people can have a membership and get those four different types of workouts. So it is a athletic conditioning class. It is a strength class. And then we have a um, yoga inspired athlete class and then a deep recovery class. So there's two studios within about 6,000 square feet. One is heated, which is where the yoga-esque and deep recovery workouts will take place. And the other one is not heated, which is where the athletic conditioning and the, and the strength will take place. And we're able to have conversations, Doug, with folks of like what your actual fitness goals are. And we have the modalities that can really help you achieve the majority of those fitness goals. And I think in boutique fitness right now, listen, I, I understand the mental health benefits from working out. Of course, you're going to get that no matter what you do. But I think that there are people who are trying to both either maintain or achieve different results from an athletic performance perspective or an aesthetic perspective. And we've gone so far off the deep end. Like we can't talk about people's bodies. I'm like, guys, everybody's working out, trying to find improvement with their physical and mental health. Why can't we talk about that? So one, those conversations will happen for us to help create paths for people of, you should be doing two athletic conditioning classes a week. And then two of the hot, you know, the yoga inspired athlete classes to achieve X. So I'm excited about that. The sophistication that is lacking in the boutique fitness industry. I think ambition will grab a hold of that. And then secondly, you know, I, I want a vibe. Um, I've gone to tons of yoga classes when it's like, listen, you know, you do you today. If you just need to lay on your mat, that's totally fine. I have a little different mindset, right? We <laughs> all need days off. But we don't need days off. When we feel 65%, I'm going to look you in the eye and be like, you got to figure out a way to push through. That's not enough of you feeling off to, to take a break. I want you to show yourself that mm. you can show up for yourself when you don't feel 100%. That is going to teach you resiliency. It's going to teach you your strength. It's going to teach you that you're capable and that's going to help build your confidence. But I think too often we just give people a pass of like, oh, I don't feel great. And it's like, okay, how not great do you feel? Like, is it a 10%? Like you just need a day or, or you like, just don't feel like working out. So like, that's the vibe of really helping people again, step in their ambition. And then we're also going to have a ton of events there twice a month around people's health, fitness, and wellness and bringing in experts. I want people to learn to like their mentality in the studio at ambition, how to apply that 
in other areas of their life and how they show up inside the studio can show them how they should show up outside of the studio. And I want to introduce content um, and experts and and motivation for folks to feel like they have a real, a real community that's rooting for them. Dang, that's exciting. I definitely want to come to the, uh, once you guys get rolling, I want, I want to come. Yeah. That's going to be fun. And I love how you talk about just, and you mentioned it earlier, but it's so true. Just like this idea of like, yes, we, both of us are very enthused by health and fitness and we both enjoy it, but like, no matter who you are, like it, it really does translate and affect every area of your life to some degree. And so for you to be able to do something like this, I think is really powerful. And I know it's going to help so many people, which is exciting. Yeah. Thanks. We're, we're, we're pumped too. And it's going to be beautiful. So we're opening one in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Heights, and then one on, um, and Flatiron, and then one in Chelsea, uh, again, early, early this year. I was gonna say early next year, it's 2023. <laughs> we're, in, we're in it now. Let's go. Yeah. Well, uh, you, so you've done all these incredible things that we've spoken about and, and just really kind of talked about these stories and all these amazing things. How have you managed to stay driven, to stay ambitious and just to stay hungry for the, the just continuing on? Like what keeps you going? Listen, I have a big fear of complacency and I think complacency makes us feel like shit. So you feel it, right? You sort of know, like, am I leveling up in the way that I should be leveling up? And I'll give, I'll give the example from Solid Core to Ambition of, you know, when I started Ambition, I raised $5 million from friends and family. And I'm like, I don't want my ambition journey to look the same as Solid Core. I want to hire a team, like there shouldn't be the same level of grind, hustle and like chaos, right? Like I'm smarter now. I know what I'm doing. I'm more experienced. So that needs to, that I want that to show up in this next concept. And so hiring a team, and it is my goal to have a, a CEO in place by the end of this year, if not a CEO, a COO who's on his way or her way to becoming this the CEO so that I can continue to elevate and serve as the exec chair. Uh, and I did that with solid core, but it took me eight years to do it. So like, I want to, I want to, I want to make that happen. Um, I want to make that happen sooner to show that I'm learning and that I'm growing. Um, and then great, that's under control. What's my next company that, that I can start and do the same thing with. So I think the, the ambition piece If again, we can all think about when we've had a great day, and Doug, when I think about great days, it's like, oh my gosh, I like move the needle forward on all these things. I got a great workout in, like I had really quality conversations. You just get, go back to the positive feedback loop. It's reinforcing when you're showing up. And I think that there's something to be said around contributing versus spectating. Mm -hmm. I try to make the majority of my life of contributing and, and, and being active instead of being passive. The passive things are scrolling on social media, watching TV, you know, you're sort of consuming what other people are doing. And I think people need, we need to be mindful of that scale because the more that we just sit and consume and don't participate, that, that to me is like a nightmare. Like I can't imagine not contributing in some way that makes people's, people's lives better. And that's just a real big motivator for me. I, I love that. I think that makes a ton of sense. I'm curious though, too. In, in terms of that, how do you find balance? Like, how do you balance? Like, obviously it's incredible to have this drive and the ambition and this pursuit of just greatness and just continuously leveling, leveling up and doing these great things. But where do you find balance in your life and how do you work with that? Because I know there'll probably be people listening that are excited and inspired by your story, but maybe a little bit overwhelmed just trying to figure out how they can like have balance in their life. Well, one, I think everybody's different for the amount of balance that they need. And two, you know, 
I think a lot of people try to do things in their head. So my advice is, is write the things down that are taking up time. Like if you really get clear on your schedule and you look at how you're spending your time and like, that's what's so great about the screen time, right? When people are like, oh my God, I'm spending how much time on social? You know, it's like people have a lot of hours, but you have to like be like this noise like there's nothing here that's moving forward my goals. I need to either have boundaries, rules, or just abstain or eliminate those things from, from my life. So it's, I think it's getting really clear. And I was talking with my friend about this and I'm like, you know what? It's like, if you think about friendships and I, I'm in a relationship too, so that takes up a lot of energy that I'm happy to give to, but like you really only have space for like a handful of really good friendships that you can foster. You're checking in, you're spending good time. Um, and so I think it's just getting clear on, okay, how am I going to continue to foster these friendships? If you have kids, if you have this, if you have that and realizing that you can't do it all, all the time. And as we go through life, different things peak and you know, peak and valley, and we have different priorities. And I think it's important to embrace that. Someone told me this a long time ago, and he said, and you can't be mom of the year and CEO of the year in the same year. And I'm like, that's really like, I think astute advice doesn't mean you can't be mom of the year some year or CEO of the year that's year, but it takes a ridiculous amount of focus. So I think the good exercise for folks is like, write down those things. And if your list is, you know, the full page, you're just never going to give anything enough attention to move the needle. So I, when especially when I'm in like work mode, like ambition, like my social calendar is very light. Like I, I can't, I can't give energy to those things right now because ambition is taking the priority. And sometimes it's having those conversations with folks of like, Hey guys, I'm super, you know, I can't go to this event, this trip, this thing, like I'm in work mode. Um, so that's how I think people cannot feel overwhelmed when you get really clear on what it is you're spending your time and everything else just is on pause right now. Wow. That's super helpful. I really appreciate you sharing that. This has been an incredibly fun episode and I'm so grateful for you and your time and everything you're doing. Last question I have for you, just kind of wrapping this all together. If you could give one piece of advice, something that you've learned during your journey, your, your whole time, just doing business to a young entrepreneur or someone that's just getting started, what would that be? Uh, there's so much, right. But I'm going to say what I've, I kind of, I kind of talked about this last week, but I think it's so important. I think just like risk tolerance, right? Like when you're an entrepreneur, there's a lot of things that like are uncertain on how they're going to go. And I think it's really, really important that if you want to be a great entrepreneur, you have to practice risk in other areas of your life. So you get used to feeling the uncertainty of things. So whether that's in your personal life, you know, really sit down and think through how you are putting yourself in situations that feel unfamiliar, that feel uncomfortable, that feel uncertain. And I really believe, Doug, because people are like, oh my God, Anne, how did you have the tenacity and the audacity to start back on my feet at such a young age? I'm like, I'd been practicing my whole life. I moved away for college. I went to DC. I moved in with four people I'd never met before. I had to figure out how to get to my apartment to American University by two trains and then a bus. So like you have this evidence of, oh, I figured all these things out before. This is no different. So getting rid of some of the certainty and proving to yourself that you can figure things out is what will set you up to be an amazing entrepreneur because it won't feel so scary. 
I love that. I love that. It's just so good. Thank you so much, Anne. I'm so excited um, for people to hear this episode and, and your ambition truly has meant a lot to me and inspired me. And I know it's done that to many others. So we, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dad. Let's go. Thank you guys so much for listening to another great episode of the AIM podcast. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. And if you found value in it, I ask that you kindly share this with a friend. We want to continue to grow this community and help more and more people every single day. If you have any questions for me, if I can ever help you anyway, please reach out to me at Doug Elks on all social. I'd be happy to help you out. Let's get after this week. Let's crush it. And as always, keep ambition in mind.